We're privileged to gather together this morning as the church, people who have experienced the peace that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. And so we come this morning with expectant hearts. We're expecting to be fed from the Word of God. And Lord willing, we're going to begin a two-part series this morning on the Bread of Life discourse from John chapter 6. John's Gospel and chapter 6, we're going to spend our time in verses 22 through 40. John 6 begins with the familiar account of the feeding of the 5,000. We remember the story. Jesus had been performing signs, healing people, and the crowds were drawn to him. After having spent the day with him, a problem became apparent, and the problem was this. Where would such a massive group of people find food in such a desolate place. And then Jesus multiplies the bread and the fish and everyone eats and is full and there's even food left over. And then following this, the disciples get into a boat and they begin to make their way across the sea and during the night a storm comes up and they're afraid. But they become more afraid when they see a figure walking to them on the water until they recognize it's the Lord. And they welcome him into the boat and immediately they arrive at their destination. So there's the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus walks on the water. And that brings us to where we are this morning in verse 22. We're going to read verse 22 all the way through verse 40. And so I'd invite you to stand in honor of God as we read his word together. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Please be seated. John tells us near the end of this gospel that the reason this book was written was so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us believe this morning. Father, we thank you for your word, and we do ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand your word. Conform us to the image of Christ, your Son. We pray in his name. Amen. If we were to do a survey of human history, if we were to look back over ages and generations and look at people in various cultures, we would see great diversity among people. We would see great diversity among cultures. We would see rich and poor, flourishing and oppressed. We would see agrarian societies and industrial societies, family-oriented cultures and individualistic cultures, people eating different foods and wearing different clothing, doing different jobs, pursuing different kinds of amusements and entertainment, and the list goes on and on about the many ways that we differ as people throughout history. And yet... And yet there are some things that all humans share in common, one of those being the understanding that there is something more than the life we live in the present. The book of Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity into the human heart. The human heart is longing to be satisfied. It's longing to be filled And in the text we've just read, we see that Jesus himself is the only true satisfaction for the longing heart. Indeed, Jesus is the bread of life. I've chosen to divide this portion of scripture into two sections. The first one, in the first section, we will seek to understand Jesus' words when he says to the people, do not work for the food that perishes. Look with me at verse 22. It says, on the next day, that is, the day following the feeding of the 5,000. The people had come back looking for Jesus, and they realized he wasn't there. And so they make their way across the sea. They make their way to him in Capernaum and find him. And when they see him, they ask a logical question, Rabbi, when did you get here? When did you come here? 
This is a reasonable question to ask. After all, they knew that there had just been one boat the night before, and Jesus hadn't got on that boat. So the question makes sense. Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus doesn't answer the question in the way that we might think he would. Instead, Jesus cuts right to the heart and he exposes the people's motives. He says, the reason that you're seeking me is not because you saw the signs, but because I filled your bellies. Jesus saw right through the people. He knew their motives. It reminds us of what took place just a few chapters previous in John chapter 2. The people had seen the signs that Jesus had done. And it says they believed in him. And then it says, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in their heart. Try as we may to cover our motives, Jesus exposes us. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. I'm reminded of what John writes elsewhere. In the book of Revelation, he's describing this vision of Christ and he talks about Christ as having eyes like flames of fire. This penetrating, judging, omniscient gaze of our Savior. And we remember the words from the book of Hebrews, which tells us about the Word of God. It's living and active, and it's sharp, and it divides us. And then in verse 13, it says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so the people come to Jesus asking this question, Rabbi, when did you get here? And he cuts right to the heart and exposes their motives The people had their bellies filled. And that's the reason they were seeking Jesus. They were excited. They had found someone who could meet their physical needs. We want more of this, they said. So after exposing their motives, Jesus gives them instruction. He says to them in verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes but work for the food that endures to eternal life. Here is instruction for us as well. Do not work for the food that perishes. What is this? What is the food that perishes? We might say that the food that perishes are the things that feed our flesh. John writes in 1 John, Speaking to believers, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions are not from the Father, but are from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. These things that feed our flesh. This is the food that's passing away. Things like power and prestige. Things like wealth and status and approval. It feels good to have people approve of us. It's comfort and ease. And Jesus says, stop working for that. Stop working for the food that perishes. This life is passing. 
And it will soon be over. And the things that we treasure here on earth, they're not made to last, nor will they. The people were committing a serious mistake, one with eternal consequences. They were pursuing the things which lasted only temporarily. They wanted to have their bellies filled and they were neglecting eternity. This is a trap that we too can fall into. Are we not prone to commit the same error? What busies us? What consumes our time and our mental energy? What are we seeking? This world can be so alluring, can't it? We get off track and we forget that the things of this life are temporal. We forget that the pleasures that we enjoy in this life now were never meant to be an end in themselves Rather, all the good things we enjoy are meant to be pointers to the one from whom the good things come, namely God himself. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes. After all, the pursuit of temporal things has been tested and has proven to fail. The pursuit of temporal things, it's been tested And it's been proven to fail. Do we remember Solomon? Solomon gave himself to the pursuit of pleasure. In fact, he says in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Perhaps some of us have experienced the things that Solomon is talking about here. We've pursued something. Perhaps it's a position. We've given ourselves to it. We've devoted our lives to it. And then we achieve it. And we get to the top and we ask ourselves, is this all that there is? This is Solomon's testimony. And though far removed from the crowd to whom Jesus spoke by some 2,000 years, we face, face the same dilemma today. Will we seek temporal things or eternal things? Oh, for grace. Oh, for grace to help us pursue eternal things. Jesus then tells the people for to work for the food that endures to eternal life. And he says this food, the food that's going to continue forever, that endures to eternal life, the Son of Man's going to give you that food. And you can be sure of this because God the Father has set his seal on his Son. The Father has said, my Son is going to give eternal life. He will do it. The Son of Man will give you this food. 
And so Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And the people appear to be listening. And they ask the question in verse 28, what do we need to do in order to be doing the works of God? The works that are pleasing to God. Tell us what to do and we'll do it. You say you have food, we want more of that. Just tell us what to do. It's as if their works, through their working, somehow they could make themselves acceptable to God. But people who think this way, somehow we can work our way to God, have first an unbiblical view of God and an unbiblical view of man, we're unable. What is God's standard? It's perfection. Who can achieve this? The people had no category for grace. No concept that the gift, that eternal life was a gift to be received, not something to be worked for. The gospel says something very different from working our way to God. And Jesus says so in verse 29. He says, the work of God is this. Perhaps the people should have sat down before he finishes this sentence you ready? Here is the work of God. Believe. Believe in the one whom God has sent. This is the work that God requires of us, to believe in the one whom God has sent. It's not working at all. It's believing. And so we ask the question this morning, what is difficult about this instruction? Is it not clear enough? This word believe is used nearly 100 times in John's gospel. And so we're right to ask the question, well, if this is the instruction, and if this is what we ought to do to inherit eternal life, what does it mean to believe? In John chapter 4, we read about the healing of the official's son. This official had come to Jesus and he says in verse, 20, verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And so we can derive from this story that to believe is to trust. The man believed what Jesus said and he went on his way. He trusted that Jesus would do what he said he would do. Believing is trusting. In the Gospel of John, we also see John equating believing with obedience. To believe, says John, is to obey. In chapter 3, in verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. 
Whoever does not, and we might expect him to say, whoever does not believe, but he doesn't. He says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's a terrifying verse for those outside of Christ. The wrath of God remains on the one who does not obey. And so in this verse, we see disobedience contrasted with believing. We might say that disobedience is unbelief. So belief is is trusting. Belief is obeying. Truly, truly, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Chapter 8 and verse 51. Keeping God's word, you will never see death. To believe is to look away from ourselves and to trust in Christ. It's to put all of our trust in him. It's to forsake ourselves and our own perceived righteousness and rest in Christ. It's to follow him in obedience. It's to give our lives to him. This is what it means to believe. When we consider our lives before a holy God, we see our own failure day by day. We know what is right and yet we fail to do it. The call for us is to believe. Believe what Jesus says. That he bore our sins in his body on the tree. That he absorbed the wrath of God. The call for us this morning is to believe him. Trust that his work is sufficient. person who comes to Christ and says, Lord, I I have nothing, but I trust you, this person will receive eternal life. Sadly, the people don't respond in belief. Instead, they respond with more questions. What sign will you do, they say? What sign will you do in order that we may believe you? We just want one more piece of evidence. One more sermon. I want to see something happen. Then I'll consider. Just one more thing. Then I'll know for certain that there is a God, that you are God. This is a tool of our adversary, the one that Peter says prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's deception. Just one more sign. The people seem to have forgotten what Jesus had done. He just fed the multitude. They'd seen him heal. And still they're asking for something more. Somehow Jesus had crossed the sea. We know the story, don't we? He had walked on the water. But the people were blind to their need for Christ. They wanted to see something great, maybe a sign from heaven. Do something great like our father Moses. After all, he fed our fathers in the wilderness. 
If you're talking about this food that endures to eternal life, we want to see something. Show us. Jesus explains to them, no, no, it wasn't Moses who provided for your fathers in the wilderness. God did that. And the food that God provided in the wilderness was a sign that was meant to point you to me. Point you to the true bread. The true bread that comes down from heaven. The people demanded to see something else. They wanted another sign. And their response bears witness to the truthfulness of Jesus' statement back in verse 26 when he said, You're seeking me because I filled your bellies. These people were carnal, seeking the temporal, not the eternal. They wanted Jesus to fill their carnal and earthly desires. They wanted to have all of the best, and they wanted it now. They were missing the point because they were looking to Jesus to do what he hadn't come to do. Namely, fulfill their earthly desires. Jesus then in verse 33 explains what the true bread is. It's he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus says, okay, do you want to know what the true bread is? It's the bread that comes down from heaven. And it's me. I give life to the world. The Jews were sustained in the wilderness. But I have come to give life to the world. Jew and Gentile salvation is available to all. And the people respond, give us this bread always. But they were blind to the truth. This is a response similar to the woman at the well. Do we remember? Jesus told her that he had water. And if she drank of this water, there would be in her a spring welling up to eternal life. And what does she say? She says, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. They were missing the point. They were looking at things on a horizontal level instead of vertically. Perhaps the people wanted to attach themselves to Jesus. Yes, give me that water. Give me that food. But their allegiance was not to Christ alone. They failed to believe that Jesus satisfies. They were, looking for the, they were working for the food that perishes. Instead of the food that, for the food that endures to eternal life. Again, the good things that we enjoy are meant to be pointers to the one from whom the good things come. So we ask ourselves, am I working for the food that perishes or for the food that endures to eternal life? And the call for us is to believe. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Believe that we don't bring anything to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Believe that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, one that you and I could never live. 
that he went to the cross and on the cross he absorbed all of the wrath of God. And he rose from the grave. And in so doing, he made a way for us to be reconciled to the Father. The call is to believe. To trust. Believe that Jesus is so glorious that he alone can satisfy. Do not work for the food that perishes. No. Work for the food that endures to eternal life. And working is not what you think. Working is believing. We must believe that Jesus is the bread of life. Believe that Jesus is the bread of life. Please look at verse 35. Jesus tells them plainly, I am the bread of life. Look at me. I'm standing right before you. Come to me and you won't hunger. Believe in me and you will never thirst. Jesus will satisfy the longing heart. In fact, our deepest longings and desires can only be satisfied in the risen Christ. Why? How is it that Christ satisfies? Well, one way, Christ can satisfy because he is eternal. He's eternal. Christ will never leave us. He won't forsake us. I remember as a child, I was fearful of many things, but one of those, one of the things I was fearful of is that after my mom would drop me off at an event, that she would forget me. She would leave me. This time of year was especially bad because it got dark early. I can remember kind of gazing longingly out the window, watching for headlights, fearful that she would forget me. As a dad today, I look at that and laugh. Right? Wouldn't forget my child. But I'm afraid that sometimes we're concerned that we might be forsaken by people, and by God. But Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We're up and down, aren't we? You might say we're fickle. But when we are fickle, he is steadfast. And when we're fearful, he is faithful. And when we wander, he calls us back. And when we sin, he is our advocate, pleading our case. Not guilty. I've paid the penalty for that sin. Those of you who have been walking with the Lord for many years, consider your lives. Has God failed you? I don't know many of you, but one thing I know, God has never failed you, and he won't. Jesus says, I will not forsake my own. 
Jesus always keeps his promises. It's no wonder the psalmists tell us, speak repeatedly again and again in the Psalms. We read about the steadfast love of the Lord. Psalm 90, he says, satisfy us in the morning with what? With your steadfast love. Satisfy us with your steadfast love. Back to verse 35. Jesus says, do you remember the bread that I provided for the people in the wilderness? Do you remember their bellies? Their bellies that were filled? Perhaps some of you were there. That was a sign of who I am. And my purpose, I satisfy, I fill, I sustain. Jesus says that those who come to him will never hunger. And those who believe in him will never thirst. Never thirst and never hunger. These words are emphatic. You will never, ever hunger. You will never, ever thirst. Come to me, says Jesus. Believe in me. Trust me. The sad reality, however, is that the people had seen Jesus. They had witnessed his miracles and still they refused to believe It's a sobering reminder of the hardness of the human heart. Jesus was standing right in front of them. And they looked past him, desiring the temporal instead of the eternal. They were looking to the temporal to fill their eternal longings. This was a grave mistake. Perhaps you've been in a conversation with someone... And as the conversation continues, it becomes clear to you that the things that you're saying are going right past the person. They look, with, look at you with kind of the, this glassy-eyed stare, and you realize you've lost them. This is the condition of the people to whom Jesus spoke. He's standing in front of them, and yet they refuse to believe. How long have we sat under the word of God? Maybe week after week after week after year after year of hearing the truth of the word of God and yet we refuse to believe. What's required in order to gain eternal life? It's belief. It's trusting in Christ. The people to whom Jesus spoke were not interested in coming to Jesus. They weren't interested in believing. We learn, though, in verse 37, that Jesus' confidence in his own ministry was not in the people or in their ability to respond to the truth. Jesus' confidence was in the eternal decree of the Father to save sinners. Those whom God gives to the Son will indeed come. Christ has a bride. They will come. And those who come to to Jesus, he will never cast out. He will never drive away. Those who come to God 
through believing in his son will be kept by Christ forever. They will never, indeed, they cannot be lost. Why? Look at verse 38. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. All who come to the Son will be kept for eternity. And the truths of these verses should thrill the heart of every believer. We should revel in this. If you've been united to Christ, you will be in Christ for eternity. This is the doctrine of the security of the believer. And we see it on display in these verses. You won't be lost. Jesus always and only does the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is that all who come to Christ will be raised up on the last day. It's the Father's will that none of His elect, none of His children should perish. Your security is grounded in the faithfulness of the Son. Jesus says, look at me. Come to me. Believe. I am the bread of life. Are we resting in the sweetness of this truth those who are in Christ will be kept by Christ, that Christ satisfies us, and he will for all eternity. You know, there are many uncertainties in this life. We, we are uncertain about what may happen when we walk through the doors. But this one thing we know, Christ will raise us up on the last day. God must enable the sinner's heart to believe. He must, he must enable us to see Christ as the all-satisfying treasure that he is. So if your heart is stirred this morning to believe, then come. Come and believe. Believe that Jesus is the bread of life. There is security in the Son. He's the bread of life, this new life, life that begins in the present and continues through all eternity. Yes, we groan in this body, don't we? We battle sickness and suffering. Our family members who are sick and suffering. But take heart. The God who saves us will keep us to the end and raise us up on the last day. These bodies that we're living in now were not meant to last for eternity. But on the last day, we'll be fitted with bodies that are. And forever we will be in the presence of the Lord. And so we ask this morning, what prevents us from believing 
What prevents us from believing that Jesus is who he says he is? Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So whether you've been born again by the power of the Spirit and you've been walking with the Lord for many years, or if you've never experienced the transforming power of the Spirit in your own life, the call is the same this morning, and it's this, believe. Trust that Jesus is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he will do. He is the only Savior. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the only one who can fulfill us, who can satisfy us for all eternity. Believe the words of the psalmist in Psalm 105 where he says of God, For he, that is God, satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Our attempt to find fulfillment in the temporal is futile. It won't work. It's been tested It will not work. The history of humankind bears witness to this. Jesus Christ calls us to look on him and to believe that he is the bread of life. He alone can satisfy and fulfill the longing in our heart. Augustine wrote some 1,600 years ago in his confessions these words, Thou movest us to delight in praising thee, for thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. His love is steadfast. His mercy is abounding. His grace is amazing. His sacrifice is sufficient. Do not work for the food that perishes. Believe that Jesus gives eternal life. Believe that Jesus is indeed the bread of life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the bread of life, that you alone satisfy. I pray that we would find great delight in you. That we would know fullness of joy in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.